0: Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC Chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Christina Eanes, the Vice President of Marketing and Communications for the Metro DC Chapter of ATD. And I'm Leticia
1: Aniago, the 2022 President-Elect.
0: We also have Helena Hodges, our Vice President of Finance and Operations, as our producer. For this episode, we are interviewing Dr. Janet Ahn and John Thompson. Welcome, Janet and John. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Christina. Thank you. And Leticia. Thank Hello. you. Awesome. Now, before we get into our topic of learning that clicks using behavioral science for effective learning design, let's get to know you a little bit. 90-second intros. Let's start with Janet.
2: Hi, I'm Janet Ahn. I'm currently the president of uh, MindGem the uh, U.S., Side um, and the chief behavioral science officer. My brief background um, was in, in my previous life, I was a tenure track uh, professor of psychology. And they say um, what they say is, uh, "Come over to the dark side <laughs> now," um, and and it's a it's a it's a fun side to come over to. Um, but currently, my role is to look over um, clients, be the f- front-facing aspect of the clients, leading the U.S. business, and all product-related um, development comes to me.
3: Uh yeah so uh thank you very much. I um been in uh, L&D for about uh, 25 plus years. I'm currently the director of learning experience and innovation at the Coca-Cola company here in Atlanta. Uh started out as a with a very small company in Orlando, Florida right out of college as a technical writer and editor and have worked my way up. I moved up to Atlanta in 99 and have been here ever since. Uh, worked for IBM, SunTrust Banks, uh, Deloitte, EY, some smaller consultancies along the way, and uh, like I said, I'm landed at the Coca Cola company for about the last year. It's been absolutely a wonderful journey, and um, have uh, spent my whole time uh, in the in the industry, so so to speak. Aww. So
0: nice. Yeah. So, Jen, I love that you said that you uh, you came over to the dark side. Welcome to us, <laughs> practitioners here. <laughs> <laughs> so with academia um there's been like growing leaps and bounds right in the last 20 years in social psychology and neuroscience.
2: Absolutely. And
0: it's starting to come over more into the quote unquote mainstream. Can you share a little bit about uh, maybe just a little bit both of you yeah, um, about of that journey and then why TD professionals should yeah. be aware of this? I I think
2: um I think what we're seeing is a trend for um what does research say? So, um, I think we're in a, in an era of lots of, um, it, it can be this, um, misinformation, um, uh, you know, lots of different things that can work, but failed. And I, at this moment in time, I don't think we have a lot of opportunity to keep missing the target. Um, and people are losing appetite for that. Um, and, and not, and missing target means also, um, missing the people, you know? um, So when we talk about diversity inclusion, are we really talking about the right people? And what does it really mean to have an inclusive environment? What does science say about that? What does research say about that? Not what we think and feel about it because that's where we can be biased as well. Um, So I think that is where um, the trend is going. Um, And so people have an appetite to do so. And, And where I came from in academia, why are academics coming this way? To the dark side, migrating to the dark side. Um, I think it's academia's uh, academics kind of feeling. Um, so what's the so what? What's the punchline? Um, we also want to see things applied. We also want to see it outside of a lab. We also want to see it um, make impact. I think people want to make sure that, like I said, um, in terms of that reaching that target, we want to see impact, just like practitioners want as well. So it's a shared goal. So it's a it's a um, nice way to align. And so I think that's the trend um, or, you know, potentially the movement you're you're sensing.
3: Yeah. Just to piggyback onto that, I mean, having spent as long in the field as I have, I would say that people are really busy. So like beyond organizations wanting to have a good investment of their money in their learning solutions and the way they're preparing their people people don't want to waste their time on training that doesn't help. And, you know, so it it really like when we start to talk about, well, what does that look like then? I, I mean, I've been in the industry long enough to know that we used to just create one size fits all solutions. And we know now that doesn't work. We brought, we started talking about design thinking a long time ago, and it's really about understanding who the learner is and how do we design and create solutions that meet people where they are and, the inevitable kind of part of that journey to me is just, well, then we really need to be thinking about how do the behavioral science of it. How do people actually learn? How do people really learn with effectiveness and and impact? So uh, I think it was just kind of an inevitable conclusion that, that we were going to start talking about neuroscience and behavioral science and how that really drives meaningful outcomes and, and uh, solutions that matter and work.
1: Yeah. So I know you recently co-authored a book together with Mary Slaughter called Learning That Clicks, Using Behavioral Science for Effective Learning Design. And in the book, you introduced a five-step approach that talent development professionals can use to design effective training. Do you mind walking us through some of these steps for that framework? John, we can start with you.
3: Uh, Sure, so, as you mentioned, Letitia, the the framework is called CLICKS. Uh, each one of the letters it's an acronym. It, it stands for these five areas of consideration, uh, and the book is is titled uh, I think the the effective science behind uh, you know learning design, but it's really focused on the point of the process where you're doing analysis. Uh, we we look at it as kind of a, you measure twice, cut once. So, if you don't start with good analysis around what you're actually trying to solve, you end up with solutions that miss the mark. Um, And so, the acronym stands for capacity, layering, intrinsic enablers, uh, coherence, and social connections. And so, each of those five domains plays into things that you need to know about the learner and the environment into which you are potentially injecting the learning solution and the influence it can have on the outcomes for the learner. Uh, so like, let's take capacity, for example. And Janet, I'm going to use plain speak. You can come <laughs> along behind me and clean it up with the science. But um, capacity has to do with the fact that people have only so much... Attention span, right? Like there's so much that you can kind of process at one time. And so when you think about a learning solution, it's about who's the learner and what am I trying to get them to do so that you can kind of get an idea of how much you need to give them uh, in order to get the outcomes you're looking for. But then it's also about thinking about. Well, who is that learner and what does their day-to-day look like? What other things might they have going on when I want them to go through this solution that might be distracting them? So for example, let's just say you're talking about a a solution around sales. If you try to deploy a learning solution to a bunch of salespeople at the end of the month, the end of the quarter, probably not going to have their full attention. They're focused on doing their job and closing closing deals and making their quotas, right? So you have to think about not just who the learner is and what you want them to do, but you also have to think about what's going on with that learner, what's going on in the environment around them that could potentially distract or support the solution itself. Um, the layering uh, domain has to do with... When you think about what is in the solution, is there a logical sequence of how the topics uh, need to be structured or, or ordered in order for it to make sense? And what is the opportunity for people to get repeat practice? We don't learn things typically uh, from being exposed to it one time. We need to have repeated exposure and repeated practice to really kind of cement things into the long-term memory and make those necessary connections in our, in our heads uh, and to learn it basically, right? So you have to think about the structure and the layering and the sequence of the concepts that are at play. I know Janet has a really good example around that with math and kids in school uh, that I won't try to tell. Um, intrinsic enablers has to do with why does the learner care? Right. So we know uh, from research that if, if somebody is motivated to do something because they care about it or they have an emotional connection to it, it's easier for us to kind of learn it and the learning tends to be more effective in the long term. So when you're putting together a learning solution, if you can figure out what the value proposition is and then also look at ways in which you're going to reinforce that. Around in this, the way the solution is deployed, uh, you're you're better to you're more likely to have positive outcomes. Coherence has to do with how aligned whatever the thing is you're teaching them is with what they already know. So it's kind of how big of a change. If it is a small amount of change or a small amount of new from what they know, then the learning solution you need is probably smaller and less complex. If you're asking somebody to do a 180 from what they're used to, you're going to need a much larger, more complex solution. Uh, And then the last piece has to do with social connections, which is really around what are the opportunities for people to see Whatever it is in action, whether it's being modeled or displayed by other people, to get an idea of what what works and what is right, uh, and also what is the opportunity for them to get feedback from other people. So, are there going to be experts that uh, know what they're doing that can observe and and show the person what they're doing when they get it wrong, and kind of give them small corrective steps to get things right? So, that's my five minute kind of. High-level overview of the of the framework.
2: Yeah, I, I would, Leticia, just add um, that this acronym is it follows just three principles of how the brain learns, how the brain works, and how the brain applies. So that's how we framed our model. It's really about focusing on just how people operate, um, as simply as that. So what's the what does the science say? about how they absorb information, how they apply information. How does a the brain um,
0: then just digest it? And then that's the best outcome we're looking for. So we need to know this example with math and, and stuff.
2: <laughs> well, it, it's less about math. It, it's, um, so in terms of layering, um, there's this really fantastic research um, that's been done by a person named Robert Siegler, who was at Carnegie Mellon. Um, I think currently he's at uh, Columbia. And what he found was that all your fundamentals of understanding math um, starts with your basic understanding of fractions. So if you have trouble with math, it really starts with a break in the foundation of fractions. So everything gets traced back to to like initial middle, uh, you know, early elementary school years of understanding of fractions. And what that research is essentially saying is your foundation matters and how you layer on top of that foundation is how it leaks kind of... over it, It's a spillover effect, right? Um, so the il- illustration I like to use for layering and why we have um, layering in our model is um, just like you build Legos, um, you start with step one, step two, step three. And, and you know, if you're a parent with kids or you still like playing Legos yourselves, um, if you're building Legos and you miss one step, you can't pretend you missed it. You have to undo the whole thing again. And that's how we learn. As humans, we have to be really sequential and intentional about what are we um, ordering, what are we building on top of, how are we reinforcing, how are we spacing it, and that's what layering really is about. Just basically on that fundamental um, aspect of, you know, just what is what what is the way we learn. Yeah,
1: very interesting. I wonder, as adult learners, how much does context of our own experiences play a role in sort of us being selective with the things that we learn more easily than others based on what we tend to identify with.
2: I think as adult learners, um, John, I might just take this and then please add um, in the experiential. experiential. Yeah, no, yeah. please,
3: go right ahead. I think
2: um, our, said uh, that's such a good one because we're all contextual learners. So we, and that's where um, our brains are that's where kind of you know the word bias comes into play. There are pieces that we're gonna watch in a program that you all, all of us can can participate in. But some of it really spoke to me, some of it spoke to you differently. And the way I walk away from it is gonna look completely differently from the way you walk away from it. And that's great. That's the part of learning that's amazing because that's the part that's so variable that we each play a role, right? But knowing that. Knowing that we all kind of take away different parts to it, how do we structure that learning to ensure that um, kind of the eye piece of uh, clicks? How do how do we ensure that we're all intrinsically motivated to still engage? Though I think that's really what we have to get at—that um, we tap into learners' um, inherent interests because we're so different. Um, but Leticia, here's where we're we are the same in terms in terms of learning, um, intrinsically motivated by three components having a sense of autonomy, having a sense of um, uh, competence, and having a sense of belonging. Universally, there are principles that are the same for learners, that these three aspects really play that role. So, that's really where we're trying to say one size does not fit all, of course, but as humans, we know we can still appeal universally to certain principles that will engage no matter what. Um, John, I don't know if you want to add anything to that in terms of that contextualization. Um, Piece, because I know.
3: Yeah, I mean, I would. I would just. Obviously, you know the science of it. I I would say that when you are, um, when you feel connected, when you feel like you have the concept, that's when you have those feel that aha feeling, right? Like, oh, that totally makes sense. That's like this other thing. And when you are able to more easily make those connections because you have surrounding context from your past experience, that makes a stronger uh, memory in your, in your brain and it makes it easier for you to recall it. So I definitely would say it leads to stronger learning outcomes, uh, when you're able to kind of build that into the yeah. experience, which is one of the reasons why we use storytelling, oh, um, as a way of, um, relating concepts. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: I love that. And I, and I am a big fan of self-determination theory, by the way.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. I'm glad you know it.
0: <laughs> so I, I know, obviously, we want people to read the book, right? So they can dive further into this and, and learn it more. But what uh, do you want our listeners to take away? What additional information about clicks do you want to share with our listeners?
2: I'd say in a time like like John kind of started, in a time where people are busy, in a time where, um, you know, there's economic uncertainty, in a time where, um you know, time, um, resource, and investment is, is you have to be sharp. Um, Clicks is where you can start, right? Um, it's a starting point. So where it's uncertain and, 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 you know, you have so many competing priorities and you have so many things to get done. You don't have enough time to get it done. You don't have enough money to get it done. You don't have the resources to get it done. Um, Clicks is a good framework to start with thinking through that um, to help you prioritize. So I said that's a take-home message. Um, from my point, um, John, I don't know um, if that looks differently for you.
3: Yeah, I would agree, and I think the thing that we've added into the framework that hasn't really been talked about a lot is this consideration of both the learner, which is kind of where design thinking and learner-centered thinking comes in, but it's also this consideration of the environment around each one of the domains, and so it really does behoove people to take the time to do proper analysis. Don't start with a solution in mind. Ask questions. Think through who you're trying to serve and what their reality is, and then try to close the gap with what the stakeholder wants. And and if you do that, then you should have the right building blocks for solutions that are going to be meaningful and have impact and get the outcomes that you're ultimately looking for. Nice.
0: Now, any recommendations for additional resources in addition to the book, obviously, that people can dive deeper into this topic?
2: John, we have, I mean, in the, the book does have the
0: handout, um, which
2: would be in the framework itself and the questions. Um, we don't quite have a separate website. Um, that people can download from um, in an easy manner?
3: Um, you know, I would say we we put the model together with the thought that it could be useful with SAM or Addy or OKLCR, OK whatever whatever model of instructional design people are using. This is really just a set of... It's a design pattern for how to start your analysis and ask questions. So I think it's, it's really kind of cross- Uh, functional that way. Um, In terms of other reading, though, I guess, Janet, are there any, you know, maybe research, uh, any books uh, that kind of go into the science behind it that would be helpful that you could recommend?
2: I'd say um, in the book, we have little um, side notes of um, different psychologists who inputted a deeper dive. Um, So they're not very long. They're little side notes on people who are a little geekier. Christina, you might be one and might be a little interested um, about just like, how do you go a little deeper than Mm -hmm. this? Right. And so we've um, invited five psychologists to speak to each of the um, domains Mm. of clicks. um, And they provide that reference on the research that you're welcome to look into. And we cite that um, in the book. Sorry, I I meant geeky in the most I complimentary love it. way and not I mean I'm I, a I'm PhD, for that sake, I'm geek. a huge geek. Yes. So um I didn't mean that as an insult, no, I meant absolutely. that not. highest <laughs> praise and I, you know, um I forget geek is not a cool thing. I
3: I no, actually embrace like, it, 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 it at yeah, all yeah, times right now. So yeah. definitely cool. Yeah. I'm one. I'm definitely a geek. I've, I've, I've <laughs> got It's, a new, it's a new cool, right? That's right. It's
0: not like Thank you, Stranger Things. No. No. (laughs) I like
2: spoke it and I was like, wait, maybe that's like mean to say that. And I was like, oh God, I didn't mean to insult the podcast host
0: here. That's an honor. Never getting invited back. You know, that's that's what's going to happen.
2: So, so in any case, there are deeper dives in the book. um, And those, and almost all five of the scientists that are inputting are book authors. Ah, so that's where they also express. Yeah, so they are all book authors, so we can definitely um, do a deeper dive with their um, their resources as well. Awesome.
1: Nice. Now we're not done with our episode yet, uh, Janet and John. At the end of every episode, we typically ask our guests rapid fire style questions, and each question requires less than sixty
2: seconds to respond. Are you ready? Fire away. No, but sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. John's ready. I'm
1: not. (laughs) So we'll start with John this time. Give us one book that everyone must read and why. One
3: book. Uh, You know, I have to say my go to answer for this is uh, Who Moved My Cheese, uh, which for me personally, I read that right as I was kind of starting my career, Uh, coming out of, well, I'd been working for a couple of years by that Mm -hmm. point, but coming out of college and I read the book and, you know, I really think it was a metaphor for me for continuous learning before I knew what continuous learning was all about. So if you have not read Who Moved Mm -hmm. My Cheese, I highly recommend it.
2: Great. Janet? Um, Other than our book... Yeah, I would book, say, yeah. <laughs> I'll pick, I'll pick yeah, I mean,
0: obviously. other
2: than our book, I would pick actually one of the authors that, could, um, that inputted a site. Oh, actually, um, this author hasn't, but um, Javon Babel put out a book called The Power of Us. And I think it's such a great book um, and a, a good collection of research on in-groups, out-groups, the trends of it, and given the world we're in now. What does that mean for HR leaders in the business, um, TD professionals to think about inclusivity um, and and neurodiversity and inclusivity in that? So I'd say that's a really good read. Um, Yeah. Great. Okay, What is one tool you can't leave without? One tool. So I was going to ask this, what type of tool are we talking about? Like, are we talking about like all sorts of kitchen tools, the gamut of like <laughs> well, carpentry? I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't do this stuff, but like so, uh, what kind of tools are we talking about? Yes. Yeah.
1: So typically people give us tech tools, but it could be anything. We had somebody tell anything. us their voice was the tool they can't live without. So anything mm. you can think of. and On one set screwdriver, you
0: know?
1: Of screw John, <laughs> You know either one of you can go first for this
3: one. Um I'll be happy to jump in and give Janet some time to reflect. Um I <laughs> would say I would normally uh, say a whiteboard, but lately we've been uh, we've mm. been starting to use this app called Mural in in our company yeah. which is like a virtual mm, whiteboard. Yes. Um, Such a good it one. is absolutely to me one of the most um, like indispensable ways for me to think I'm, I'm one of these people who has to think with their hands and I draw and sketch mm. and kind of, when I, when I'm trying to process concepts, I create visuals mm. of it and clean it up until I get it the way that I want. So yeah, mural mm. uh, or any kind of digital whiteboarding tool to me is absolutely mm. critical. Cannot, cannot, cannot get through one. my day without it?
2: Um, I, I currently am addicted to Trello um, Trello, oh, it, it just helps keep, um, my one-to-one, um, you know, meetings a little more on track. So it's, you know, we, we just have so many, um, and it's hard to have them, you know, synchronously at all times and every week. So where we're off, um, you know, I, I try to minimize meetings as much as possible because God, zoom fatigue is a real thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Trello is a way to like touch base without having to have a meeting.
3: Uh, Mm -hmm. but it's there
2: and then it's easy to follow up with next steps. So, and you can comment on it. So I think that's a, that's a good tool for me lately to minimize meetings.
1: Great. All right. Last challenge. (laughs) What is the best piece of advice you have ever been given?
2: No pressure. John, you want to
1: start?
3: Am I going to start with this one too? Wait, Um, this
1: is like
2: cheating related and not like life, right? What's the best life advice? Anything. Oh, anything. Okay. Okay. Okay.
3: So I have to say, one of my first experiences as a project manager was for a large uh, financial company at IBM. And I had a a new partner come into the project. We both kind of came in to help rescue it. And we both got on site and it was a bear of a situation. And he looked at me and he said, look, this is a marathon, not a sprint. So we Mm. need to just be in this together. And keep in mind that we're here for the, you know, the long haul, and it's you know, not going to be all about short-term you know, successes. We have to just keep in mind it's a marathon, not a sprint. And whenever I find myself getting tired, I just say, you know what? The, the finish line is nowhere in sight. So I just got to keep telling myself I've got to do what I got to do to keep going. So it's marathon, not a sprint. Is uh, probably some of the best advice I've ever gotten.
1: Nice. Thank you. Janet?
2: Gosh, okay. Hard to follow up with that one. Um, (laughs) so I'd say, I, I I mean, I'm going to kind of say what my mom said to me growing up, um, a lot when, you know, I was a first generation college student and from immigrant parents. And it was just, I just felt like I was always, my starting line was a few paces back from everyone at all times. Um, but my mom always said, wait till the end. And she said it in Korean. So she, she would say it in Korean. Um, just stop, stop focusing on the immediate, like as if that's the rest of your, that, that's like prescribed to you forever. Wait till the end. Um, and who knew, um, it, it, you know, I could have achieved what I did without keeping that in mind that this is not the end. Wait till the end. And, and that always aligns with kind of my research background on goal progress, goal pursuit and persistence. Um, so that is one piece of advice I've always been given ever since I was young. And I think that was, it'll, it kept me going.
3: Excellent.
0: Oh, I love it. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, Janet, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you pleasure, for Such a pleasure. Thank pleasure. you. Oh, And Leticia, thanks for helping to run the show. Oh, yes. And I've learned so much today. Thank you both. Thank and
3: you. And of course, thank
0: a thank you to our listeners. Before you go, though, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Do you need consultant services? The Metro DC chapter of ATD has many talented members go to dcatd.org and check out our consultants directory under the resources menu option. Check out dcatd.org for upcoming chapter events, learning programs, member benefits, and so much more.